I've got mince pies. Do you like mince pies? Not really. Oh, <laughs> no. Nobody likes mince pies. Nobody does. Okay. I'm but gonna, thank you. I'm going to eat this pack of mince pies throughout my recommendation. <laughs> Is your recommendation mince pies? <laughs> and you've got to figure out what I'm saying with a mouthful. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Do or do not. There is no tomorrow. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Nerdfest podcast. With us today we have... Kerry Skipson. Dan Watkins. Peter Johnson. Ian McLaughlin. And I'm John Farthing. And it's a special end of year episode... As well as our recommendations, we'll look back over some of our favourite films of the year. So let's begin. <laughs> <laughs> let's begin, bitches. <laughs> so slick. <laughs> you should say bitches at the end of every sentence, yeah. John. I will do that, bitches. <laughs> it works well for you. Because yeah. it won't go tiresome at all. Like the guy in uh, Breaking Bad. Bitches. <laughs> Science, bitch. <laughs> Which is why I got expelled for my chemistry lessons. <laughs> oh, we watched the um, the Sopranos prequel movie yeah. thing. Oh, I haven't seen it yet because I'm working my way through the series yeah. again before I get around to it. Because I've never watched any Sopranos, ever. Really? But I quite enjoyed the film. It was, it was well done. It was a bit mm-hmm. like Goodfellas. had a bit of a you know Tarantino mm-hmm. or a um, Scorsese feel to it. It was, it was enjoyable. I will put that onto my list once mm-hmm. I get through. The, I think I've got about 15 episodes to go. <laughs> Dan, you've been off to the pictures this week? Yes, I went to see Spider-Man No Way Home. (gasps) Spider-Man. How was it? I can (laughs) confirm that I have seen the film. Are you going to be enigmatic, are you? Anything more would be a spoiler. I haven't seen it yet, but I don't don't care about spoilers. So can you confirm to me (laughs) that Lex Luthor is in it? No comment. No comment. Okay. (sighs) Is there more than one Spider-Man? No comment. Does Spider-Man have a a heart attack? At what point? In the last 15 minutes. (laughs) No comment. Does a female character have an unfortunate interaction with a bridge? There is footage of such incidences in the trailer. Does Spider-Man have a a secret love child? Spider-Baby. How do you know about my father? (laughs) In one of the alternative universes is a Spider-Man made out of pastry and called (laughs) Spider-Flam. Correct. Does Ant-Man appear, get trapped in Spider-Man's web like at the end of that 1950s fly version? Go, help me, help me! While Tom Holland spits acid on his head and then eats him. Yes, but only in the post-credits teaser for Ant-Man Quantumania. Yeah. Okay, and and, in another one of the universes, again, Spider-Man's made out of pastry. Is he called (laughs) Piderman? Confirmed. Well, I hope that's answered everyone's questions. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. Mm -hmm. And, and in another universe, is it kind of like suddenly become porn when you've got... Uh, <laughs> become what? Cocktail. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Cocktipus. That's the one I was going to do. And the green noblin, I suppose. <laughs> I don't want any spoilers, but could you make a noise to describe your reaction to the film? Hmm. Ooh. Uh. Hmm. <laughs> Dad, how the fuck did you do that? <laughs> I might have gone to the universe where Spider-Man's a small dog and brought her back. She's also a girl dog. Pictures. So with our recommendations, let's begin with Mr. Peter Johnson. Before I start, start I'd like to mention... The, Shut the, up. The, 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 the new series of Dexter, is it called New Blood? 
They're reading my notes upside down, those little bastards they are. What's interesting is how fuck Peter's eyesight is because it's in a big font. Sorry, Peter, back to you. <laughs> Meanwhile. Before you start. Shut up. <laughs> Before I start, I'd like to mention the new series of Dexter called New Blood, which picks up the story 10 years after the original series ended and aims to finally give the series a more satisfying conclusion. I've only seen the first two episodes, but so far it feels like a real return to form. If you like Dexter, even only for its first few seasons, give it a try. It can be found on Sky Atlantic in the UK, and it's great so far. Does it undo the the terrible, terrible ending? It doesn't say it didn't happen. It just makes everything interesting again, (laughs) which it really didn't at the end of the series. So it's good. Were you a Dexter fan? Yes, I loved it. I've got the book, actually, but I haven't read it. I think there's a series, isn't there? Yeah. Didn't the original series go off the rails a bit once they ran out of novels to adapt and started doing their own thing? Season six, they were told, was the last season. And then just with two or three episodes to go, they were saying, oh, no, we changed our mind. We want another season. The whole thing had been heading to this climax. They ended up with a season after it that just did nothing useful. Mm. But my main recommendation is called Dope Sick, which is a drama miniseries on Disney+, Plus, which deals with a fascinating and appalling true story of a drug and the impact it had on the people who took it. Opioids were known to be an effective painkiller, but highly addictive. A drug company claimed to have developed a new form of opioid called OxyContin, which was non-addictive, and the FDA certified it on the label. Doctors across America began to prescribe it for headaches and all sorts of minor pain, and it became hugely successful. But before long, people were becoming hooked, and a crime wave was spreading across the country. Rosario Dawson plays the highest-ranking female investigator in the DEA, who has to battle perceptions of how to get things done as a woman without being regarded as overly aggressive, and avoid trashing a marriage due to her obsession with the case. A particular standout is Caitlin Devers as a teenage girl struggling with her emerging sexuality who becomes badly addicted after a mining accident. We watch how desperate she becomes to get her next fix and what it does to her and her family. Michael Keaton plays a doctor who's convinced to prescribe the drug and begins to witness for himself the harmful effects it's having on his patients. But he's prescribed it himself and finds himself also hooked. There are big questions raised on how the FDA came to give that special label to the drug. Do you know the FDA don't actually do any testing themselves? Essentially, the company just go and do the testing and then they say, oh, it's fine, we've tested it, which is a ridiculous way of doing a thing. I feel a bit like Andy this episode. I'm recommending something that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. You're recommending OxyContin, from what I understand. <laughs> so it's not addictive, it's FDA approved, and it makes you feel good. I think you may have missed the subtext in what Sorry, I was I, saying. I, did, I, I faded out for a while, I may have missed the, missed the point. <laughs> When I say fairly out, I mean dropped out because of all the oxycontin I've been taking. (laughs) But nonetheless. The show's really well made, definitely less worthy and a lot more enjoyable than it sounds. It's available on Disney Plus in the UK and Hulu in the US. And if you like fact-based drama like Chernobyl, you'll probably love it. It's entertaining as a show. It's gripping rather than Mm. miserable. Sounds good. It's right up my partner's alley. (laughs) <laughs> I'm vaguely aware of like OxyContin as a thing in America. We're kind of mm-hmm. lucky we don't have it over here, but yeah. it, it just ravaged like whole chunks of working class and lower class Americans, yeah. didn't it? Went yeah. yeah. It was a, a terrible situation. Do you ever have that weird thing when we watch US series that they quite often will talk about drugs like we're supposed to know what they are just from the brand name? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's always weird, isn't it? They get advertised on TV in America, don't they? I remember when I was over there and um, the adverts were coming on and um, it's a bit like what they do with cars here. You know, it's like a way, it's selling you a way of life yeah. through the product. 
But I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't believe, are they allowed to advertise drugs like that? Yes, they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. terrible. But you're not allowed to buy the drugs. The, the aim of the adverts is to get you to piss your GP to prescribe you the drug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many magic tasty pills out of 10 would you give it? I would give it eight and a half milligrams out of 10. <laughs> Please note, John does not condone the opioid crisis in America. I do. I'm almost entirely against it. <laughs> almost. <laughs> I would like to recommend The Beatles Get Back, which is another series that's on Disney+. Plus. Peter Jackson has put together a three-part documentary about the month in early 1969 when the band get together and start to create what becomes the album Let It Be. And it takes about a month, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> the three parts of the documentary altogether are about eight hours. And I think this was originally going to be one documentary. And like with all things Peter Jackson, it, it turned out to be three. I can say, you, you're telling me Peter Jackson's taking a, like an essentially slight and short story with not much narrative and split into three parts for no real reason. The first part, feels like not much is happening. They're a little bit aimless. They don't quite know what this project's going to be. Nobody's really sure what the songs are going to be like. Nobody seems that motivated to do anything. And at the end of part one, George leaves the band. Spoilers. In part two, things start to come together as they invite Billy Preston in to play with them. And then part three culminates in the legendary rooftop concert where they perform some of the songs that they've been practising to a crowd of onlookers and a few members of the police and various other people besides. Having those eight hours to build up to that concert really makes the magic of it come to life. You just get to hear these songs that have been practised and tweaked and modified come out the way that you've heard them for the past 50 years. And it's absolutely brilliant, especially when you can see the policeman through a hidden camera waiting in reception at the building trying to get them to stop. It's a fantastic conclusion to all of the lead-up. Why was he trying to get them to stop? They were disturbing the peace. There were businessmen in bowler hats and pipes who were very upset that this noise was coming from the rooftop of one of the buildings in London. It stopped traffic and everything outside, didn't it? Yeah. But it's just amazing watching these four guys hanging out and chatting to each other, playing songs that they like. They clearly are enjoying each other's company still. And that's not the story that has been portrayed for the past 50 years. It's supposed to be at this point in their history, they hate each other, they're fighting all the time, they all want out. And you don't get that impression at all when you actually see the footage of them all together. They're helping each other out with songs. Paul tends to get exasperated trying to organise schedules and trying to get people to actually do the work, which... It's quite relatable. I, I definitely related to that yeah. bit. Uh, anytime anyone's ever tried to get more than two people to schedule anything, uh, you can relate to Paul in this documentary. So yeah, it's just really nice watching them. They seem mainly to be arguing with the film director, who <laughs> seemed a bit of a dick. Yeah, he's fixated on trying to get them to perform in an amphitheatre in Libya, and nobody's up for it. But he keeps pushing it for hours and hours and days and days, and... Yeah, he does not come across the best. And the film he ended up making, which I think was also called Let It Be, has never really seen the light of day since. So it took elements of this, all this, um, this footage, but kind of painted quite a dark picture of the relationship between John and Paul, which wasn't really representative. And that's why I love about this documentary, Get Back, you actually see that actually John and Paul actually are very fond of each other. Yes, they're 
the relationship's a bit strained, wouldn't it be after that long and all that fame and fortune and pressure? But uh, fundamentally, they're still their brothers in arms and write great songs together. Do you think it's giving a different impression because Paul McCartney and Yoko Ono are the producers of it? Might they be in a different position of power of determining what ends up in the movie or not? Uh, as far as I'm aware that they gave um, Mr. Jackson carte blanche and they, they mm. didn't have a final say on an edit. Okay. So I'm guessing, Peter and Ian, you've both seen it as well? Yes, I absolutely do. I've only it. seen part one so far, but I, I enjoyed it. The only thing which I did notice, because film stock's quite expensive, but apparently they recorded audio all over the place with like microphones and plant pots and all sorts of things. There's a couple of bits I noticed towards the end of the first one where it looks like you're watching them talking. And then after a while, you realise none of the lips are moving and matching what you're actually hearing. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of faking it like a conversation that's not really happening. Yeah, but they put a disclaimer at the start of each part of the documentary to say that where only audio footage exists, representative images have been put on to match that as closely as possible. Mm. Mm. There was a few bits as well where I think it was a different take of the song on the audio to what we were seeing because mm. the, the the movements didn't quite match up in the song, the, the lip syncing yeah, song. Yeah, I saw that as well. John, you've watched it as well? I've seen part one so far and a, a bit of part two and I really, really enjoyed it. I, I kind of went in with a bit of, is this going to be a bit of a slog at six hours? But certainly the first part flew by. You don't have to give it, I think, 100% of your full attention. Yeah, it's sort of like... You're in the room, you're in the studio mm-hmm, with exactly, them, yeah. in yeah. a way. You've yeah. got that access to them that you would never imagine you'd have to someone on the level of the Beatles. But if you enjoyed mm. part one, I think part two, as soon as Billy Preston comes in, and he's just come in to say hi and ends up playing with them, their motivation levels, their concentration just shoots up, and they start to create more and more music, and it really starts propelling along from there. I think John's quote at the end of the the first session is, this guy should have been in the band all along. And they're all really <laughs> wow. excited about him. It's like it's taking the whole thing to a whole new level. And you can see them all suddenly like focus and come together and go, yes, this is going to be marvellous. Because the famous story was always that Preston was brought in because the Beatles were at each other's throats. And if he was there, then they'd have to behave with each other. And that doesn't appear to have been the case at all. Similarly, a lot has been painted over the past half a century about the influence of Yoko Ono mm. on the band. Mm-hmm. And the Yoko factor was even an episode of Buffy, I think. Yes. And she is there with John 100% of the time, but nobody minds. No, She's not a problem at all. They all get on with her. There's a lovely moment in it where Paul McCartney goes, look, if you had to choose between the Beatles and Yoko, John would choose Yoko. And of course he should, because he loves her. And I, how can I argue with that? And there's just this moment where you just go realise that no, no, Paul isn't against Yoko at all. It's like, you're in love with this person. I, I, I respect you as, as my friend. And I respect her as your lover. Mm-hmm. Although Paul was very frustrated because he was trying to organise the world. And, and he's the, probably the greatest influence on the album. Mm. He brings most of the songs to the table. There's a moment where there's John Lennon and Ringo just sitting and the focus is on them. They're having cigarettes and chatting and having drinks, stuff like that, and talking rubbish. But in the background, you hear Paul McCartney's going, when I found myself in <laughs> and he's just like trying to work it out in the background. Yeah. And you see, you see these moments of creation of these amazing songs there in that moment, that moment of mm-hmm. first kind of like, mm, here's a chord. And watching basically just jam and create, get back out of nowhere over yeah, a few yeah. minutes is astonishing to watch. Other times they're working over a line over and over and over again. And the fact you get the rooftop concert in its entirety at the end 
you're coming to them in a new way almost because you've heard how they've come to get to that point. And yeah, it's magic. It is, isn't it? And it's, I think that's what makes the documentary unique is you see the creation of some of the classic, most classic songs of all time there in the moment, which you can't see anywhere else. My wife, Judith, is something of a Beatles denier. <laughs> As in, she doesn't quite get what all the fuss is about. Where do you stand on this, Garris? I used to be, and, and then I, I sat and listened to all of their music, and yeah, I, I absolutely adore it. I think it's hard to appreciate now to what extent they were sort of a, a, ahead of their time and pushing mm-hmm. things forwards in some of the studio technology. Music became much more sophisticated in the space of four or five years. I think it makes a difference if you were there as well. Like my dad saw the Beatles live. But also I, I get really put off by hype being pushed down my throat. Like Nirvana. I'm, I've never really been a big fan of Nirvana. Um, Goodbye, Keris. <laughs> Bye, Keris. <laughs> yeah, bye. <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't really sat and listened to them properly. Cut to Keris roped to a settee. <laughs> I had this discussion with Peter um, a few weeks ago, oddly enough, because we were I was trying to encourage him to come and see Elvana, yes. um, the world's only Elvis-fronted <laughs> Nirvana tribute band. And Peter was like, well, I'm quite interested, but to be honest, like I've never listened to all of the albums. And, and I, there's three of them, Peter, they're 40 minutes each. It's less than two hours. You watch some shit, mate. You can, <laughs> you can, <talk. laughs> you can not watch that for two hours and listen to three <laughs> of the greatest albums ever made. For me, it was the hype around a band whose selling persona was apathy because apathy was very trendy at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's hard to be passionate about it, but, but I, I, I would give them a chance. The three albums, give, give yourself two hours okay. and come back and be transformed. What, now? Right now, okay. yeah. <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, the worry. Yeah, yeah. Bit apathetic about them, were you? Yeah, we're... <laughs> so how many oh bloody hell Yoko's here again out of ten <laughs> would you give get back? If you are a Beatles fan, I would give it nine and a half out of ten. If you are a Beatles skeptic, I'd probably go down to a seven, but it might win you over as to how great they are. Mm. I can tell you for a fact Judith would Hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I totally agree. I think it was a, definitely, a, I would give it nine and three quarters. Yeah. I'm Ooh. not the world's biggest Beatles fan. I'd like, you know, I, I, I respect them and I like what they do. And I really like the White Album, but I'm not a massive fan of the Let It Be album. Particularly like it's a shambles, the album. Math, really messy feels better. With it. So I'm going in not as a Beatles skeptic, but as somebody who likes them but doesn't love them. And it's a nine for me because I just thought it was. Amazing watching all all that stuff, like like you were in the studio with them. Kevin, you haven't seen it, have you? No, I haven't. No. So no. how many marks out of ten would you give it? None. None. <laughs> oh. Zero. That's very hard. I haven't seen it. <laughs> how many out of ten would you give our discussion of it? Oh, definitely a nine. There we go. Okay. Not Good. perfect then. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what bit didn't you like? <laughs> when he's told us to get out <laughs> that bit that was horrible oh you can get back now see what i did there <laughs> who would like to go next i would like to recommend american horror story series 10 double feature with american horror story every series 
it's like an anthology series, so it's a new subject, so they're not entirely related. It's the same cast though, isn't it? It's yes. like an ensemble of actors who tell a new story every season. I love that because you get to see the versatility of their performances and absolutely incredible actors. This one is a double feature, so it's two miniseries in one, which they've not done before. Are the two sharing cast between them as well, or is it yes. they, they split the cast in two? Because mm. it's the same ensemble, there will be the occasional crossover, uh, crossover yeah. actor, but you can now watch it on Disney Plus, and it's being released uh, once a week. So the, the first half is called Red Tide. And uh, I know it sounds like a period thing, doesn't that's, it? Yeah. That's what I was laughing. Although it's childish, but that it's is about, what I was laughing Red at. Tide. <laughs> it's about this Starring game. Sean Connery. <laughs> New episodes release once a month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on that, Dan? <laughs> Talk about periods as much as you like, Karis. I thought you guys would never ask. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> you open the floodgates now. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Oh, okay. Red tide. Grow up, guys. Come on. A writer goes to this seaside town in Cape Cod with his family to work on a deadline. And you discover that there's a black pill which helps you fulfill your creative potential, but only if you have talent. And if you don't have talent, you turn into something else. So there's actually a lot of interesting status play going on here. The characters are incredible. And Macaulay Culkin is in it. He plays this drug addict prostitute. Wow. I know. And it's the greatest role I'd say of his career. Was and he away? Was it in the series or was he just wondering about the set? <laughs> in a fake hole that <laughs> yeah. managed to capture. And how does he look now? Because the guy was in the sixth sense sixth sense the Joel Osment. yes always looks quite weird when you see him as an adult he looks like someone inflated a small child as a grown-up so does he does he look like a he looks incredible really yeah yeah ah, okay. gorgeous Good. man gorgeous yeah. um and his performance and the role has so much depth because he's pulled between being very hurt and very troubled but also wanting to be a very kind person his performance was the best thing of the whole series if i'm honest Probably been a good year for the Culkins then if Macaulay's so good in this. Mm -hmm. Kieran Culkin has been amazing in succession this year. Frances Conroy is also amazing. Her character is an erotic novelist and we see a beautiful unfolding of her life before and after she takes the pill. Frances Conroy and Macaulay Culkin partying together. Come on, let's... I'd be up for that. Yeah, they're amazing. They have a wonderful night out together and there's a great commentary here on addiction when she tries drugs with him for the first time. She says, oh, that's incredible. And he says, trust me, the first time is the best and then you end up chasing that high for your whole life and you never catch it. It's kind of meta, isn't it? Because yeah. you go from Home Alone to yeah. Home Alone 2 to Richie Rich. Does <laughs> he talk about his career as a drug? Yeah, um, but I, I tell you what, like uh, I've, I've, I think I've fallen in love with him. It was so brilliant that the whole, the, it was great. So Red Tide was brilliant. So did they show all of Red Tide as a miniseries? Yeah. And they, they didn't like intercut them or anything? No, 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 no. They just did Red Tide. And I wasn't expecting it because I, I don't watch trailers. I don't read reviews to stuff that I really want to watch because I don't want anything to impact how I experience it. I don't want anything to affect how I want to experience it. 
So I was a little bit confused. I'd been watching Red Tide and then I watched um, the first episode of Death Valley. So I was trying to figure out what was going on. The second part of this is Death Valley. And this is about extraterrestrial life. And there are characters from American history here, such as Nixon, JFK, Marilyn Monroe, Amelia Earhart. But the main focus is with President Eisenhower having to make some very difficult political decisions. If you like traditional conspiracy theories, you'll enjoy this because a lot of them are neatly tied together in a black and white ribbon of creepy narrative. Um, there are some brilliantly gruesome parts, but I really can't go into that without giving away spoilers. So I'll just say that I thought they were delicious. Oh, <laughs> nice teaser. Yeah. <laughs> so I watched the first half of the first season of American Horror Story and I just never kind of... Murder House. I never really got into it. There was a campiness about it that I thought kind of detracted from the scares and from the... Well, it's the guided glee. So I never really got into it. I never watched any of it. So as a American Horror Story virgin, or almost virgin, I've just had the tip of American Horror Story. <laughs> you haven't had the full shaft. I've not had the... Yeah. Uh, what, what series would you recommend? Series three, Coven. It's about witches. Open yourself up to it, John. I love it. And... That has Kathy Bates in. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good selling what's point. The one, what's the one with the, the two-headed two -headed person? That's a freak show. And have you watched all of them, Karis? Yes, all of them. It's probably my favourite series. And how does this most recent one rank? Oh, it's, it's really not as good. Every series is a different kind of genre of horror. So the first one is Murder House. That's like a ghost story one. The one with witches, that's obviously witchy horror. Every series is like a different flavour of horror. And they're not entirely interlinked, although there is one series that tries to interlink them all. Um, so it's interesting because you could, you could hate series two, but absolutely adore series four. And you wouldn't have had to watch all of the other series to enjoy the next one but this one it was okay you get what you want when you watch an american horror story because that campiness um it does have its own sense of humor and irony and you know different actors bring different things to the roles for instance sarah paulson everything she does is absolutely fantastic so is evan peters your love in this one? Oh my god <laughs> you called <laughs> can we just I, I, I didn't think I could find him any more attractive and then his character doing certain a certain thing that is just incredible I can't really give it away but oh my god I went through somewhere Macaulay Culkin is crying in a corner after <laughs> two minutes ago you were spouting your love for him yeah. <laughs> she's fickle I, uh, I went through a phase of communicating with Peter only through Evan Peter's gifts it wasn't the best part of our relationship. It was. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, Evan Peters is amazing. So how many Evan Peters gifts out of 10 would you give this latest series? Oh, that's a tricky one because it's technically two in one. So I'd give Red Tide eight and I'd give Death Valley four. Mm. I'm not really into the whole conspiracy theory American history thing because it just doesn't fit is like the horror that I am looking for. But that's okay, because every series is different. So have they run out of genres now? No, they'll never run out. 
I would recommend it. Um, I love American Horror Story, but Coven is and always will be my favourite. I mean, and they're, they're all on Disney Plus, aren't they? Which is, seems to be getting further and further from its Disney origins. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing as we've got Dope Sick on there, we've got the. Be- In fact, all our recommendations so far <laughs> yes. have been on Disney Plus. This yeah. episode is sponsored by Disney Plus. Send us, send us Mickey Mouse plush dolls and VIP tickets to Galaxy's Edge, please. Oh, that would be good. Uh, so, John, you're going to have to keep this up. What Disney Plus show are you recommending? I'm recommending a film from Sony that's nowhere near Disney Plus. You wrecked it. There goes Galaxy's Edge. I know. I'm so sorry, but I, I, you know, I, I wish Disney had made this film because I wish Venom was in the MCU. Because a spoiler here, my review this week, and I use the word review rather than recommendation, <laughs> is Venom Two: Let There oh. Be Carnage. Oh dear. So this film's 80 minutes long. And that's the best thing about it. It's nice and short. Is that 80 minutes too long? <laughs> it's, I would say it's 90 minutes too long. Does <laughs> <laughs> okay. he want 10 minutes back? I quite liked Venom, the first one. I know I'm in a minority on this one. You are. I like bits of it. I know it got shit on by everybody, but I thought it was quite good fun. And I thought Tom Hardy was clearly having fun with the Venom character and kind of playing the two characters. It was in a completely different film from the rest of it. It had a nice cast. It had an interesting origin story. It did some fun things with the effects. It degenerated into a load of CGI nonsense at the end in a way that these films always do. But, you know, it, it, well, it's not up there with the MCU stuff, but, you know, it's better than some of the X-Men films, certainly. That's not hard. <laughs> but I, so I, I quite enjoyed it for what it was. And then we get to Venom 2, which is directed by Andy Serkis, who is a motion capture CGI, probably, you know, the, the, the world's leading person in that sort of work. It's got a great cast, so Tom Hardy's back again, Michelle Williams is back, you've got Naomi Harris, probably best known as Money Penny in the more recent Bond films, and Woody Harrelson as, and I am not making this up, Cletus Cassidy, um, from the random name generator, <laughs> and oh, it's fucking awful. It's really bad. It's it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, certainly one of the worst things I've seen this year. It's just an absolute mess of a film. I think what's happened is I think the Pirates of the Caribbean date, where in the first Pirates of the Caribbean, Johnny Depp was going, oh, I'm a pirate. Oh, wow. People said, oh, we're not sure about this, but we'll leave a little bit of it in and we'll let Johnny have some fun. And we'll, in the end, it will <laughs> calm it down and we'll control him. And then it made hundreds of millions of dollars. And then in the second one, it's like, oh, let Johnny Depp do whatever he wants. And it's, oh, I'm, a, I'm Keith Richards. What For two hours. And you just want to <laughs> pull your fucking eyeballs out. Um <laughs> No, you pull your eyeballs out, you can still hear. So you'd you'd have the noise, but you wouldn't be sure it was coming from anymore and somehow that would be worse. Pull your eyeballs out and stick them in your ears then. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Dan. That's really helpful. And I think they've done the same thing with Venom 2 here in that the controlled slapsticky comedy he was doing with Venom, they've just let him completely run right with that and do whatever he wants with no control. And it's not funny anymore. It's just incredibly annoying and distracting. The plot, such as it is, is that Woody Harrelson is a serial killer who is in jail. Eddie Brock, the Tom Hardy character, goes to interview him and discovers a secret that somehow leads him to have his prison sentence put to a death sentence in a way that would not work in any legal court of law whatsoever. Tom Hardy goes to see him before his electrocution. Woody Harrelson bites his hand and thus gets a bit of venomy blood in his bloodstream. 
That means that instead of dying when electrocuted, he becomes a big CGI red blob called Carnage, who looks like... Remember in Doom, the original like 1995 Doom, where when the characters would come up close, it would just be a big pixelated mess because it couldn't do it. That's, that's kind of like that. It looks like it's been done on an Amiga. Uh, he escapes and finds his childhood love, who was also sent to prison, who is Naomi Harris. So we're supposed to believe that Woody Harrelson and Naomi Harris met as childhood friends, despite the ridiculous age. I, believe, I think there's a 15 or 16 years between them. You know, it looks like more because, you know, Woody's had a life. <laughs> and then nothing very much happens. They go on like a weird kind of serial killer spree. That's They're trying to go for a natural born killers vibe, obviously with the, like the Woody Harrelson casting and some of the stuff. And at the same time, in one of the most bizarre subplots in recent history, Tom Hardy and Venom undergo a trial separation because obviously they live together in the same body. And there's this big metaphor of them as a homosexual couple because at some point Venom leaves him and runs off and appears to go, what's a gay pride parade? And wears like a garland around <laughs> his neck and gives a speech about how great is that he can be himself. That's the bluff. <laughs> Sadly not, no. Um, and then they're friends again and then they have a big fight in a church and it ends and the credits come up and you go thank fuck that's over but it's not over there's a mid-credits scene and the mid-credits scene makes me fear for the future of a lot of things if you haven't already seen it please for the love of god don't see it don't encourage them so i'm going to spoil the mid-credits sequence in which venom switches on a tv flicks to another multiverse and tom hardy as spider-man uh, sorry, um, and Tom Holland. Tom, no, Tom Hardy. It's a different multiverse. Where it's a middle-aged <laughs> character actor. Uh, no, they switch to another multi-universe, and we see um, Tom Holland as Peter Parker on TV, indicating that Venom is now entering the MCU and the uh, will be encountering Tom Holland's Spider-Man in a future film. Please don't do that. Please, it's 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 just awful on every conceivable level. It's fighting against it. You, you you've got a monster, and his big thing is he bites people's heads off, and they give it a PG thirteen, so you can have possibly one head biting at a distance in the dark. It's an adult character. It came from Vertigo Comics. Give us an R-rated Venom where he can do all the stuff Venom is supposed to do. Venom is a, an evil symbiote from another planet. He's not a bad stand-up comedian with relationship issues. Tom Hardy, learn to speak. Go to see his speech therapist. Just please, you know, your mumbling's done. We're done with your mumbling. And, you know, even the subtitles just went mumble, 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 mumble. <laughs> it's, do you want a score out of 10? Yes, please. Nine. <laughs> Nine? No. So in German? Two out of 10, because Woody Harrelson is having a bit of fun in some bits of it. How many mumbles out of 10 would you give this? Mumble. <laughs> <laughs> um, John? You've made me really want to see this. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> way, I've not done my job. The way that John um, hates something kind of makes me want it. <laughs> Don't you like Tom Hardy as well? Oh, yeah, he's oh, gorgeous. Oh, my God. Imagine Tom Hardy just chucking me around the city. Macaulay and Evan now, both sat in a corner. Crying their eyes out. Don't worry, Keris, with the powers of the multiverse... Tom Hardy and Evan Peters could meet. Fuck. I'm just going to sit back and uh, take that in. Are you okay, Chris? She's you, you've, gone all glazed she's, over she's there. She's faded away. She's just a puddle on the floor. <laughs> she's, having, she's, she's having to have another mince pie to calm herself down. 
medicinal properties. John, a few days ago, you were pondering whether to recommend the third and very good series of Succession. Yes. What made you pick this filth? <laughs> um, we, we've talked about Succession quite a lot on the show already, I think. Season three is brilliant. Um, those last three episodes, I think from the, the birthday party episode onwards, maybe, mm-hmm. it just gets better and better. Yeah, if you're thinking about watching Venom 2, just don't watch Succession Season 3 instead. <laughs> and if you watch Venom 2 first, you might not have a TV anymore because you might have smashed it at some point during the film. <laughs> so watch anything you want to watch beforehand. Okay. <clears throat> Ian, to go from the ridiculous to the rather more sublime, what have you got for us? Well, I am going to talk about the new version of West Side Story. Ooh. 2021 Steve Spielberg. <laughs> I'm going to do this all the way through the review. <laughs> Please don't. Right, I'm not there yeah. to edit. But okay, all right, okay. I am coming at this from a super fan point of view. West Side Story is the greatest musical of all time. It's not just my opinion. Agreed. Not, no, 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 it is the best musical of all time. And if you disagree, I will fight you in a car park. You're looking at me, people. Yeah, no, I'm just not looking around you. I'll, I'll fight you in a car park. Not just me and you having a little scrap. I will get my gang of devoted fans against your gang of disbelievers. I'm going to get my gang of Book of Mormon fans coming to sort out your gang of West Side Story fans. We'll meet in a rumble. We've only just started. We're about to have a rumble. We are going to rumble in a disused warehouse, right? And we'll bring fucking bottles and knives and chains and we will and are we going to have take a pro- you punks down. Are we going to have a proper fight or are we just going to dance around like no, a bunch no, of girls? No, we'll be dancing and then we'll be probably stabby, right? Because West Side Story is the greatest musical of all time. So that's where I'm coming from. I am a devoted fan. I love West Side Story. It was the first musical I ever saw in theatre. It it's just beautiful. It's just the score, gorgeous. everything about it, I love. It is or was a very tall order, wasn't it, to reimagine or remake something like this. The original movie, uh, starring Natalie Wood, won 11 Oscars, which is incredible for a musical. I heard a review with Sondheim where he wasn't actually that keen on the original, which I was really surprised by. And he mm. didn't think it worked as well as the stage play did. So there's room there, I think. For yeah, it. absolutely. Even though the original movie is a masterpiece and won 11 Oscars, the, the, there are several holes in it. And, and it's, got, it's quite dated now yeah. in, in, in places, which we'll come on to. In the casting, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, we'll come on to that as well. <laughs> so why and how would Mr. Berge do a remake or a reimagining of this thing? You know, the, the original does feel a bit dated and slightly camp in places and uh, features a Puerto Rican gang of browned-up white actors. <laughs> but kind of, in a way, that's kind of its charm. Not the browned-up bit, obviously. <laughs> uh, but the other stuff, you know, the, it's still gorgeous to look at. It's all technicolour and wide-angle and full of energy of young actors at the peak of the game. So, it's you know, it's, it's such a vibrant movie. As a super fan, I suppose, I had set the bar impossibly high going into the theatre going, this is definitely going to be a five and less because I love the original so much. Mm-hmm. But I was actually incredibly surprised. I, you know, I was, when I, Spider-Man appeared. Yeah, Spider-Man and you realised you watched yeah. this in the wrong theatre. <laughs> <laughs> I was preparing myself to judge it against the original mm-hmm. and I soon realised that was not the way to go at all. Yes, uh, Bergy Boys reshuffled some of the scenes and rewired the story to give it a harder, more visceral feel. But it still has the heart and soul of Bernstein's masterpiece. But the characters are much more better drawn, I think. And the gangs are believably intimidating and less balletic. 
He's managed to create a world where the, you kind of go, yeah, these guys could yeah. have a proper rumble and, and be quite scary. I was very upset after watching the original. I joined a gang and it was not what I was led to believe. <laughs> <laughs> Much more violence, less dancing. I think another stroke of genius from Spielberg was that he refused to provide subtitles for quite a lot of Spanish mm-hmm. dialogue in the movie. Unless you speak Spanish, you don't understand. You still kind of get it. And I thought it was really nice. It worked really well because you still felt like I was separated from a different culture or a different race in some kind of way. I thought that was really cleverly done. I read that putting subtitles on the scenes with the Puerto Rican characters that you don't get with the other gang others them. Yeah. It makes yes. them feel like they are different. If you take off those subtitles, then you're treating them exactly the same as you treat the Jets. And you're probably not listening to the emotion as well if you're just reading the subtitles. Absolutely. And that's the great thing about it is you, you, even though you don't understand what they're saying exactly, you still, like you say, you still get the kind of mm-hmm. the emotion, the passion of the moment. You kind of, kind of interpret it in your own head. Ariana DeBose, who played Anita, uh, she yes. was the standout for me in this. I know Rita Marino won the Oscar for playing Anita in the original version. She does turn up in this one as well. But as a character... I thought she was great, and I thought Ariana DeBose was phenomenal in that performance, particularly when she's singing America. How does one Anita stack up against the other? I thought the whole cast was incredible, to be honest with you. Is she the girl who's in Hamilton? Yes. Yes, she played the bullet. She's part of the ensemble. She's one of the chorus dancers. And when we went to see this West Side Story, Amy came out of it saying, imagine having that level of talent and you only get cast as one of the ensemble. She is amazing. Absolutely brilliant. And that, probably one of the highlights of the movie for me was the, the, the retake on um, America. Diddle, 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 It becomes this huge kind of community party with kids dancing as well. And it was just a, it was just a brilliant retake on the whole idea. Is it still set in the 50s? It's still the same time period. And like I say, um, Spielberg has chosen to use original lenses from that time. So it kind of it feels very the same. Colours are amazing. It's not even start on, on Spielberg's you know, stuff behind that he does with the, the, the visionary stuff. Peter used the word sublime before, and I think that is a fitting one for it. He luxuriates in the camera. You get these incredible visual shots. He shows off the dances, the movements, the choreography, the landscape, the scenery. It's incredibly cinematic. And probably I think it's Spielberg's best movie in a long, long time. He just, you can tell he's having so much fun. He's passionate about it. He's bringing all of his skills to it. Oh God, it's just, it's, it's vibrant. And I never thought you could remake a film so famous and bring something new to it that you could mm-hmm. still enjoy. My standout actor for me was Mike Faced. Ah, Riff. The original was quite kind of a baby face and a bit camp and all this, but you kind of really believe this Riff could shiv you mm. <laughs> and have a fight with you. you. That was quite believable, I thought. The musical arrangements have been updated as well. Uh, nothing radically different, but just moments are, are really well done. What time period have they gone with for the music? Because I remember going to see a chorus line, the Michael Douglas directed mm-hmm. one in the early 90s, and it had all these doof, 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 drums yeah. all the way through it, which... That was the start of the EastEnders theme there, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember seeing it and thinking, that's going to date so badly in like three years. They're not doing any of that at all. It's totally faithful to the original score, but just expands it a little bit. As somebody who's only seen this version, their character Anybody's stood out for me quite a lot. I think played by a non-binary actor in this version. The character is called Anybody's, who in the original is definitely female girl, mm-hmm. tomboy who wished she could be part of the gang. 
is updated it by going, let's cast a non-binary actor. Isn't kind of like just a girl in a, in a hat with pants and wants to be a boy. But because of their biological gender, is not accepted into the gang. And what Spielberg has done here is he's turned this character into actually underneath is a really strong character that can actually kick anyone's ass. Good. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's so beautifully done and so simple. So Dan, yeah, I think that's, I think is the most important update for this movie. We did have one original cast member back. Uh, Rita Marino is in this version as well. Was it nice to see her? Well, of course. And it's lovely to see her come back. But one of the problems I had was that uh, Spielberg mixes scenes around and, and gives songs to different people. Rita Marina has now been given the cameo role of the widow of a character called Doc from the original movie who runs the local drugstore. And so she now plays the kind of the wise sage who looks after this young gang. But what Spielberg did was he's, take, he's taken away the most important song in the whole musical and given it to Rita Marina, mm. which kind of works, but felt a bit like kind of like, okay, I want the best song and a production credit. Otherwise, I'm not doing it. In places, but it still works. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was definitely nice to see her back. Before you take any role, and you insist on the best song in the production credit, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Even when it's not a musical. Yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> we, we take the dog for a walk. Yes, because I want a good song in a production credit. I suppose the most important thing in, the, in, in, in this movie is the voices of the star-crossed lovers. It's actually the person who's playing the role of singing it this time. Yes. Unlike the yeah, original yeah. movie. In the original movie, Natalie Wood actually didn't sing at all. It was a... Really? Yeah, it was a it. different... No, she couldn't sing. Although I did say, uh, what's it with the guy who plays Tony in it? It's uh, Ansel Elgort. That's him. From Ansel Baby Elgort. Driver. He was, yeah, he, he's an amazing baby driver, isn't he? And he, he's yeah. great in this. He really smolders a lot. But I did notice occasionally his voice kind of sort of wandered into boy band territory. It wasn't quite operatic mm. enough for me. Also, he's very good in Paddington. Yes. <laughs> mm. Rachel Zegler, who played Maria, she was 18 when they filmed West Side Story. And she has got an amazing voice and has since been cast to be Snow White in Disney's live action remake Ooh. of that film, which I think will fit quite well. Mm -hmm. So how many long overdue remakes would you give it out of 10? Uh, oh, I would give it um, nine sperms out of 10 worms. <laughs> you have to see the movie to understand that. How many Officer Krupkeys out of 10? I would give it nine Officer Krupkeys. How many girls like Maria out of 10 would you meet? Probably one. <laughs> and she wouldn't even like me. How much do you want to be in America? It's okay with me in America. Mm -hmm. Everything's eaten in America. America. For a small fee in America. How pretty out of 10 do you feel tonight? I feel um, um, about pretty. I feel seven and a half pretty. <laughs> It's, it's bombed massively, unfortunately, hasn't it? It's, it has. um, took less than... It mm. took 12 in its first weekend, which yeah. is ridiculously small for a, such a high budget and Spielberg. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, at a time when musicals are finally making a comeback, yeah. really, mm. with Hamilton and all the other ones floating about. Yeah, but none of the musicals that have been released this year have done well. In the Heights didn't do well at all. Dear Evan Hansen didn't do well. Tick, tick, boom did well, though, didn't it? Yes, but that was on Netflix rather uh, than cinema. And I go. just wonder whether your target audiences for musicals in the cinema 
are maybe the audiences that aren't quite as keen to go back to cinemas just yet. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like Venom 2 did spectacularly well at the box office. Whoa. And that is appealing to a very different audience than something like West well, Side Story. My mum's mo- favourite <laughs> film of all time is West Venom Side 2. Story. Not Venom 2. She hasn't seen it yet. But she loves West Side Story. She will not go to the cinema to watch it until things are better. Also, I think everyone wants a bit more kind of like escapism, aliens beating each other up rather than a heartfelt story about teenage love and how it all ends in tragedy. And Spoilers. It doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, it's all good at the end. Oh, yeah. Was it? Okay. We've got a little bit of time left, so we're going to talk about our favourite films of the year. So from each of you, I want your favourite film, and I want two sentences about why it's your favourite film of the year. Peter? For me, it would be Last Night in Soho, which was everything a movie should be. It transported you to another place, it took you to a fantasy world, and then it got deeply dark and sinister. Mm. I would concur. That is a brilliant movie, Peter. I would also recommend what I've talked about, which is the remake of West Side Story. Just go and see it. It's beautiful. Well, I was going to recommend Last Night in Soho as well, because I think that's everybody's <laughs> probably everybody's favourite film of the year. Sorry. But uh, a close second for me was Censor, which I absolutely loved. Um, it kind of got lots of my little favourite niche things all together in one. It was really stylishly done. It had some good scares. It had some good twists. And, you know, it's an, an, I think it's a major talent coming through with the director. And I can't wait to see what she does next. Is, is Nicolas Cage in this? He's not in it, no. Nicolas Cage, sadly, has had a bit of a disappointing year. Although well, that makes a change. We had a top three, and the, the third in my top three was Pig, which was absolutely not what you expected from the promotion. and was absolutely beautiful and genuinely had me in tears at the end. Karis, what did you like? My film of the year is The French Dispatch. Oh. I loved that. Uh, if you like Wes Anderson, you won't be disappointed. It's a Wes Anderson film meets The New Yorker. Ooh. And it's so beautifully shot. It's a cliche to say every frame is like a painting, but it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. feels like that as you're watching the whole thing. It's, it's cinema's art. Yeah. I haven't seen this yet. Nor have I. I would like to, though. Mr. Watkins. My film of the year is In the Heights, which is probably predictable as the Lin-Manuel fanboy. But in June when it came out, I was having a really tough time and that film cheered me up. It uplifted me and it just filled me with positivity, which I really needed at the time. So that's my pick. And on behalf of the nerds who are not here today, Andy would like everyone to know that Celine Sciamma's Petite Maman is the best film of 2021, and Mm -hmm. he waves his French flag as he says it. Hazel's top film of the year was Promising Young Woman, and Ian Mayer says his number one is Dune, but only if you remove monkeys punching dinosaurs as a metric. And what would Louise's favourite be, John? I don't know. Probably Mandy again, isn't it? I'm going to say it was Mandy or Prisoners of the the Ghostland, the other Nicholas Cage Neither of those things are true. (laughs) Okay, so that's our show. If you've enjoyed the show, we would love you to leave a review on Twitter, MySpace, Instagram, or one of those bits of paper where you write something and put it behind the counters in Tesco's, like the, um, the... the lost and found section of your local newspaper wherever you want to comment on how great the podcast is do that and if you do do that then 
Ian Mack has a special treat for you. Yes, I'll come round to your house, no matter where you are in the world. It'll be like three o'clock in the morning and I'll look like this on the door. Quiet. And you'll open your windows and look down. And you want, you'll see, like in the snow, you'll see like footprints of someone who's walked at the door. But you look down, there's no one at the door. So you come downstairs. You open the front door, there's no one there. And you go into the kitchen and go, I'll just have a, some orange juice. And you open the fridge. There I am. <laughs> With a massive hard on. Inside the fridge. Inside the fridge. How does the fridge door close with their hard on? Maybe it's not that massive. And how, how do you keep it hard when it's cold? It's frozen, it's, it's isn't frozen. it? It's frozen. You get it hard, uh, you okay. quick freeze it's like it. like an icicle. That's the trick. Yeah, that's what will happen. John, what, what, what's your treat for someone who gives us a good review? Just said you've had in a box, <laughs> like in a cake. It's going to be a big cake, yeah. and when they go to have a bite, you're going to jump out in a bikini and say, "Happy birthday, Mr. President!" To them. <laughs> Kers, what's your treat? Give us a good review. I will come round to your house and I will eat mince pies as I talk about how much I fancy every person in the film you choose to watch. <laughs> and on that note, you have been listening to. A woman who will never abandon American Horror Story. No matter how five out of ten it gets. You're like one of those people who still watches The Walking Dead. Oi! (laughs) (laughs) A man who's looking forward to commenting on Spider-Man when it's safe. A man who definitely doesn't have FDA approval. A boy. Boy. Crazy boy. Get cool, boy. And I'm a lawyer currently reading the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman or Degrading Treatment or Punishment Act to see if I can get Venom 2 banned. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for this week and we'll see you all soon. Bye. Bye. I want your favourite film and I want two sentences about why it's your favourite film of the year. Peter. For me, it's One Night in Soho, which was everything a movie should be. It so transport- so could you couldn't even get the name of the film right. <laughs> For me, it was One Night in Soho. Still wrong. wrong. What, what is it? Night Last Night in Soho. That's where I wrote down. The best one this year was so fucking tedious, I couldn't even be bothered remembering the name of it. Uh-huh. For me, it was last night in Soho. Still wrong, mate. It's one night in Soho. No, I'm not falling for that. (laughs) Wasn't it Camden? For me, it was last night in Soho. (laughs) Bastards, bastards. You've done it to me now. That's the full title. (laughs) I'd go and see a film called Bastards, Bastards. Here is the clean take and cue.